The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 78. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and His work and His wonderful works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. Amen. King above all the earth, the one who created all things that we see. You created us, your people, that we would gather together today. You appointed before the time began that we would be here today to worship you, to celebrate our hope in the resurrection, the hope that the Lord Jesus gives us of new hearts and new minds that love you and think hard after you. We pray, O Lord, today that you would be with us in this service of worship that You would sanctify to us today this Sabbath day that You've commanded that we observe before You, taking up this day in worship and in thought, word, and deed, glorifying You. We pray that You would pour out Your Spirit upon us today, Lord, that we would honor You and worship You. We pray that our, our words, our thoughts, the singing from our mouths and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in Your sight. And we pray now together as Your people, the church, the prayer that You gave Your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Dear believers in Christ, hear these words of assurance of pardon from your Heavenly Father, from 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of man, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which He has testified of His Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in Him. He who does not believe God has made Him a liar, because He has not believed in the testimony that God has given His Son. And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Amen. Let us now continue to worship. Take your hymnal and turn to number 94 as we sing together How Firm a Foundation.
may be seated. You might notice in your bulletin this morning in the place where we typically have the children's sermon, we have listed a covenant child baptism. We have the privilege and the honor to participate in the sacrament this morning and see God's covenant faithfulness to families and to our church family here at Lebanon. I want to begin by reading a question and answer from the Shorter Catechism about what baptism is, what it signifies and seals unto us as God's children. This is question number 95. To whom is baptism to be administered? The answer says, Baptism is not to be administered to any that are outside of the visible church till they profess their faith in Christ and obedience in Him. But the infants of such, as are members of the visible church, are to be baptized. You might ask, well, why do we baptize infants? We believe that the covenant sign of baptism is in the same way similar to how the covenant sign of circumcision was administered in the Old Testament. It was put on the boys, eight days old. It was a sign of God's faithfulness and covenant promises to families. It is not a sign that we believe signifies our faith in Christ. It signifies God's promise in His covenant to us that as surely as when you wash with water, It washes away dirt. As surely as that happens, the Lord Jesus, by His grace, of His own mercy and no merit of our own, He washes our souls, cleanses us, forgiving us of our sins, and making us His in Christ. This is not a sign of something that we do. It is a sign that points to something He does. The reality is that He is the one that cleanses us. So what is it that baptism represents and why do we do it the way that we do? Baptism represents our being engrafted into Christ. It's not just something we do to say we're dedicating our baby to the Lord. Though we are doing that, it's more than that. We say that in this we see our interest in the body and blood of Christ. That we really are welcoming in a covenant member into the family of God that they would walk in His ways, that they would know Him, that they would be raised to know the Lord and hear about obedience and faith. So when we call our covenant children to walking in the ways of the Lord, we do so calling to remembrance their baptism, that you were introduced into the covenant, you belong to God's people, and you are required to walk in His ways. That's some of what baptism means. We do not believe that by baptizing a child that they are automatically saved. We're not saying that the water that we will use this morning is anything more than regular water. It's, it's not a particular type that makes it special. Except by God's grace, He sets apart the sacrament and He says we're to do it. So this morning we have the privilege and the honor to participate in this. And I'll ask some questions of the parents in just a moment. And then I also have a question for our church family. So at this time I'd like to to welcome Rocky and Karen Shoemaker and their family to come forward. As they're coming forward, I want to remind each of us of our own baptism, that the Lord put His sign upon us. So as we think about baptism this morning, it is not something only that we see for 
Lady Gregory, and for the shoemakers. This is something that the Lord calls each of us, even our children, our covenant children. Remember your baptism, what it signifies and seals, and what it means, and why it is significant. I wanted to just read a few verses, Rocky and Karen, to you and to your family as you think about what this sign is and what it means. In Acts chapter 2, verse 39, it says, This promise, the promise of God's love and affection for you and for your family, this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off and to any who call upon the name of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 17, God said, I will establish my covenant between me and you. It's His doing. You and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And then in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. This is a household sign. This is what it means to be together. So I'm going to begin by asking these parents these questions. Some of you answered these questions years ago. Remember these. Remember the Lord's faithfulness to you. So to Rocky and to Karen, do you acknowledge Gregory's need of the cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Do you? Do you claim God's covenant promise in Gregory's behalf? And do you look in faith to the day the Lord Jesus when He will call Gregory to Himself in salvation? Do you? Do you now unreservedly dedicate Gregory to the Lord? and promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before Gregory a godly example, that you will pray with and for Gregory, that you will teach Gregory the doctrines of our holy religion, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring Gregory up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Do you? Then I have a question for our church family. This is a a covenant sign. So it is right that there are questions and vows for the family, and then also questions and vows for our church family. Do you, the congregation of Lebanon Presbyterian Church, undertake the responsibility of assisting Rocky and Karen in the Christian nurture of this child, Gregory Wayne Shoemaker? Do you? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for this covenant sign that you have given to us, that we would remember throughout our generations, that we would remember your faithfulness and your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that this sign points to a work that you do, that you promise to cleanse us, and that as we think about our own baptism, we don't have to look back and think, I hope that I meant my faith, because we know that you are the one who holds us. You are the one who makes and keeps promises, and we praise you for it. We pray, Lord, that you would bless Gregory, that he would serve you in his generation, that he would be a mighty man of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I see you? Can I see you? She's right there. You're right there. Just a second. Just a second. Just a second. This is a, a privilege. Gregory Wayne Shoemaker, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I'll pray. 
Father, we thank you for this sign. We thank you for this life that you have given to this family. We praise you, Lord, that you are good and right and true. I pray that you would have your hand upon Gregory and on Wyatt and Karen and Rocky, that you would protect this family, that you would provide for them. Most of all, Lord, that they would cling to you, that they would cling to grace and hope and faith, and that as Gregory gets older, that he would point back to his baptism, that the Lord put his hand upon me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Yes, sir. Children, if you're wondering why did we put that water on on baby Gregory, it was to be a visible sign that the Lord put His hand and His name upon Gregory. As we continue in worship now, uh, turn in your hymnal to page number 833. We're going to recite together Psalm 130. Psalm 130 on page 833. I'll begin with the light portion. Uh, Please respond out loud together with the bold. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word I put my hope. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. Amen. Let's stand together and turn in your hymnal to number 364 as we sing together. Let children hear the mighty deeds.
You may be seated. This morning for our pastoral prayer time, we're going to be praying for two of our missionaries, Tom and Lucy Wright, and also for MA Disaster Response. It's a ministry that we support. You might remember a couple weeks ago, we had the pleasure of having Reverend Steve Jessen speak about this ministry in North and South Carolina. So I want to pray for Tom and Lucy. They have some particular prayer requests that they ask that we pray for in their recent newsletter, and also for Disaster Response. And I wanted to pray also for our church family as we take part in this Lord's Day, that the Lord would bless us with His Sabbath, that we would take all of the blessings that He's given us and use them for His glory. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You that we may call You our Father. That as we pray as Your people, I pray, Lord, that You would join our hearts together in love and unity and affection for You and also for one another. Lord, we thank You for the bond that we have in Christ. The glory that it is to know and to be known. Lord, I pray that You would bless Tom and Lucy Wright, two of our missionaries, as they look to You for their own needs and needs within their own family. They're human beings just like us. And though we support them in the work of the ministry, they also have family concerns and things that come up in their day-to-day lives that cause them to need faith. And so, Lord, we pray for them today. It is a joy and a privilege to lift them up before Your throne. And we pray, Lord, that You would meet their needs. Lord, I also lift up to You those around the United States who are participating in disaster response that at a moment's notice they may get a phone call that says they need to go. And Lord, I pray that You would put it in the hearts of Your people to respond. That they would be the ones who run to situations where it seems everyone else is running away. Lord, I pray that You would provide the finances and the resources to be able to fulfill this ministry. And as we heard from Steve a couple weeks ago, the significance of going into a place where people have lost everything and to be able to go and help them with their home or pick up pieces literally. Lord, I pray that You would also use Steve and others to go with the hope of the Gospel, that what they do would be Gospel-oriented, and that as they go and share their faith and hope in You, that it would cause people's hearts to be stirred by Your Spirit. And Lord, I also pray for our church family here, for everyone who is here today, that You would bless this Sabbath day of rest that You give us, Your Word says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So Lord, we pray that this would be a day of delight and rejoicing, that You have given us this day to rest, that we have been able to order the last six days in order to spend this first day of the week focused on You. Lord, I pray for those in in my hearing this morning who might be distracted, who might have the cares of home or finances or other things on their mind, things that they couldn't finish with work last week. Lord, I pray that You would help them in their moments of weakness to be able to be here this morning and be present in their heart and mind. And that they would trust You that laying down those worldly cares today, You will be faithful to provide for them this coming week. And Lord, I pray for those in our midst who are struggling and suffering under a weight of affliction, either bodily or mentally, emotionally or spiritually. Lord, there are many things that cause us to see our own frailty. The way that we live and move every day reminds us we are not perfect. 
It reminds us that we are broken and that our bodies are dying. And Lord, we pray that you would help us today. Teach us to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom before you. Lord, help us to look to you by faith. And Lord, I pray for any in my hearing this morning that are truly suffering. And I know there are. Lord, I pray that you would meet them. I pray that you would pour out your love and affection. That you would affirm for them their place at your table because of your goodness and faithfulness. And that you would encourage our hearts as we hear the gospel and believe it. In Jesus' name, amen.
I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. Second Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. It is good for us to hear this today. The Lord is good. He is with you, His people. Today's sermon is entitled, The Heritage of Faith. A heritage is something that you inherit. Maybe your physical features, your hair color or your eye color, the size of your nose, or where exactly your ears sit on your head, they are a reminder to you that you do not exist in and of yourself on your own. A heritage is something like your name, your last name. You received it from your parents. Or maybe you have a particular plot of land or a property that's been handed down from one generation to the next. It's a heritage. A heritage is also something that you do in your family, like traditions things that you enjoy with one another and people that you remember from one generation to the next and maybe even those that you think about today who are not here with you. As parents and grandparents, we have the particular joy and burden of teaching our children about their earthly heritage, where they came from, what sort of stock of people they descend from. In this passage, Paul draws attention to God's sovereign hand which has ordained everything in Timothy's life, including his own personal path to faith. It's helpful and necessary for us, I believe, on this special Lord's Day to see the connection on this Mother's Day to this passage, to the sacrament of baptism, and to our duty to love and affirm our mothers. In the fifth commandment it says, Honor your father and your mother. So it is our joy today to remember and to honor and to esteem our mothers. To truly give thankfulness to God for His faithfulness. To our mothers, we do give thanks to the Lord for you. And we pray for you today that you rest under the shadow of the wings of your Heavenly Father. That you do so without regret or guilt And that you look to the Lord daily while you may call upon His name that He will give you grace and strength and endurance to press on in this holy endeavor called motherhood. It is right and good. It is a calling from the Lord to raise your children to know Him. And so it is a joy to affirm this today in your presence. May our Lord grant all of us the gift of faith today by His grace 
on this special Lord's Day to hear Him and to receive His Word. As we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-7, through I want to do so under three headings. The first is tracing God's hand, number one. It says that Timothy had a godly home influence in verse 5. It says his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice were women of faith. They trusted in the Lord. We know from Acts chapter 16, verse 1, it says that Timothy is the son of a Jewish woman who believed. This is significant for Paul to say he's not giving a a passing acknowledgement to someone who had a Jewish heritage only by blood. He is saying that there has been faithful, committed, spiritual mothering that has happened in this home for generations. That a grandmother and a mother would love their children and pass on the faith. Not simply saying, okay, let's get up and go to church on Sunday. But also let's sit down together on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and teaching them the doctrines of a holy religion, reading the Bible, praying with and for them, encouraging them to know the Lord and to walk in His ways. And we see in this passage of Scripture that this faith, this living faith in God was passed down to at least three generations in this family. From the grandmother to the mother and then to Timothy. A godly woman, a godly mother watches over her own soul. She's careful not to forget the faithfulness of God and passes these things on to her children. Having a memory, having an awareness of herself, and also having an eye looking to God. This was something that I believe was practiced in their home. It had to be. For this to be said of Timothy in 2 Timothy and also in Acts chapter 16, God had commanded His people to live this way in Deuteronomy chapter 4. God tells His people, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself. Watch over your heart. Watch over your life and how you think about the Lord and how you raise your children to know Him. Lest you forget the things that you have seen with your eyes and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. This was a command from the Lord that after He had delivered them from Egypt and they saw His signs and wonders, He's saying it's possible even to forget that. Can you imagine crossing the Red Sea, eating the manna, seeing the cloud of fire, and forgetting it? You might say, well, you know, if we had Jesus as our teacher or if the Apostle Paul was our minister, I believe we would have a living faith here at Lebanon Presbyterian Church. And I would say, if you can see the mighty acts of God and forget them, no one standing up here in flesh and blood can cause faith to come out of you. Only the living God can do that work in your heart. So whether it's me or someone else, it's the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, in the hearts of His people. That's what changes people. I can't change you. Another human cannot change you. Only the living God In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 19 and 20, speaking about His Word, God says, You shall teach it to your children. Speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall write them on the doorposts of your home. There was a godly home influence in Timothy's life. For generations it was handed down. As we think about tracing God's hand in this passage, you also see in verse 1 
that there was a strong and significant ministry of the Word in Timothy's life. In verse 1, Paul says, I am Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God. By the will of God, in Acts 16, verse 1, it says that Paul and Silas came to Lystra and Derbe. It was no mistake. It was no mistake that this family heard the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are here today and you trust in the Lord by faith, or if you're here today and perhaps you don't, it is no mistake that you are here. It is no mistake that you heard the good news of the Gospel. It is by God's providence that you did and His kindness and goodness. You should know that in your heart. If you doubt, if you look at yourself, if you're, if you're maybe just a little bit inclined to turn and look at you, you should look to Him. He did this, not me. I'm not better than anyone else. I don't deserve this. As we think about salvation and God's providence, we should say, why me? All of us are deserving of judgment because of our sinfulness. It says in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, that Timothy was called a disciple. Paul doesn't use that word and just throw it around. He called Timothy a disciple. And it also says in Acts 16, verse 2, that not only did Paul consider him a disciple, but the other brethren in Lystra and Iconium also believed that he was a good Christian man. He was probably in his late 30s or 40 by this time. And he was spoken well of. This is more than sounding like or looking like a disciple of Jesus. Paul and the brethren were optimistic that Timothy could be helpful in the spread of the Gospel. They believed that it was significant that he walked with the Lord. They knew that there were generations of faithfulness in his home. What a blessing and a privilege for this young man to go in such a critical mission of the church. And so they do take him. But we won't get into the missionary journeys of Timothy today. The second, as we think about a heritage of faith, tracing God's hand, number one. Number two, the promise of life. It says in verse one, and I, I want to just, if you're highlighting or underlining, I would underline this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and then here's the phrase, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. This was a promise. By the will of God, a promise. Paul sees his gifts of the ministry, of being sent to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, his own faith, both of those together, working together as the fulfillment of God's ancient promise to Abraham that he would be a blessing to not only to Abraham, but to his family and to all the peoples of the earth. God was working in Paul's life and Paul believed that this promise of covenant life was a fulfillment even in his own day. God is good to His people. He's faithful to His promises. And I want to ask you, if you were writing a letter to someone, would you speak this way? And what in the world, what sort of spiritual mountaintop experience was Paul going through that he would write this way with such hope and courage and significant hold of the promise of God? What was he going through in his life that he would consider such lofty things and put them down on paper? You might be surprised at the answer. There was no spiritual mountaintop experience. He's actually in prison for the second time when he's writing this letter. And he is awaiting the certain sentence of death. He knows that literally he has days left. And he will be sentenced by Rome to die. And they will take him out 
and they will kill him. It is the end of his life. And here he is writing to young Timothy that I have the promise of hope and life in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the face of what he knows is coming, he clings to the promise of life in Jesus. And it may actually, for us today here at Lebanon, be a little bit hard to get the weight and the the significance of this matter. We're told today by a world that is terrified of death that this life, the days that you live, are all that there is. They say that death may come one day, but you and I can live in denial of it today. We can maybe even beat it. We can beat death. You can cheat it. Have good health, good fitness, practice good safety and think critically about where you go and the people that you associate with. You might actually be able to beat death. And yet, by the world's view, Paul had every right, if anyone did, to complain and to speak his mind with no filter. I'm going to get a, just do away with the niceties because my time is short. I don't have time to waste. He had the right maybe to even be upset with God or to sit and sulk over previous ministry partners who had abandoned and deserted him. And yet he doesn't. He doesn't. By God's grace, read 2 Timothy. He doesn't speak that way. He doesn't give in to what you might say or the baser desires of his soul. He knew. He wrote this in Romans chapter 14, verse 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, just a few verses away from what we read this morning, by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, it says, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light, Jesus defeated the most feared enemy in all of the world, death. Jesus emptied death of every bit of its power. It no longer holds any sway over God's people. He took it upon Himself on the cross that He might give His people life. Jesus died that you might have life. This promise of eternal life. Why is this significant? Because we and our covenant children need to hear of it. We need to hear God's Word and the assurance of life that He gives us in the Scriptures. If you still have your Bible open, flip over to First Timothy, or excuse me, Second Timothy, chapter three, verses fourteen and fifteen. It says, But you, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, you, Timothy, must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. So this is something he's heard, he's learned it, maybe been able to recite it like children like our catechism questions. And he's now been assured of it. It's not simply an answer that he gives to a teacher. It's something he knows in his soul. I have been assured, knowing from whom you learn them. Paul is reminding Timothy, do not forget who taught you day and night with tears. Hope in the Lord. If I can hope in Him now, Timothy, you can hope in Him as you continue to serve God's people and the church. And that from childhood you have known the Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. You know about the Lord. You know about faith because you had a faithful mother and a grandmother who taught you the things of the Lord. Walk in that truth. Be assured of it in your heart by God's Spirit. It's true and real and it is for you to apprehend and hold of it. God holds you. 
In John chapter 6, some of the disciples were dispersing. Many people walked away from Jesus. And Jesus looks to His disciples and He says, are you going to, to turn away too? And Peter speaks up, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that You are the Christ. For us today, unless by God's Spirit we are rooted and grounded in the strong foundation of God's Word about the promise and reality of eternal life in Jesus, we will be deceived by the stimulation of our senses. We're told that every day that the sights and the sounds, the tastes and the smells and the textures of this world are all there is. And I want you to notice just a little short sentence in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. This is Paul thinking critically about his life. He says, For this reason I also suffer these things. These things being imprisonment and wrongful accusation and the sure sentence of death that's about to come. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Here in these chains I am a free man in Christ. And then he says these beautiful words, For I know whom I have believed. He doesn't say, I believe in God. He doesn't say, I believe in the Presbyterian form of church government. He says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep what I have committed to Him until that day. If I stay here and live, He keeps me. If I die here now today, He keeps me. I know Him. This is not knowing about God. This is walking with Him. This is a short sentence filled with big emotion and experience. And they are astounding words for people who suffer in this life right now. Who suffer for naming the Lord Jesus Christ. Who suffer for being willing to say, I will be a mom. I will give away ambition. I will give away having a career or being known by some title in an office somewhere or being part of a large corporation. I will do what it takes to be faithful to my vows to raise my babies to know Him. And it is a joy and a privilege to live out this calling that my children and my grandchildren might know the Lord. Suffering in this life is significant and real. And as God's people, we need to have categories for it. Because otherwise, the enemy gets in and he tells you what you are doing is worthless. And it doesn't matter. And Paul is telling Timothy, there is hope and life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm staking everything that I am in it. Because He is holding me. Lastly, number one, we saw tracing God's hand. Number two, the promise of life. Number three, the provision of of family. I want to ask you if you notice something that we left out in this first part of reading 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I wonder if you might think when I pointed out that Timothy had a spiritual deficit in his life. I've mentioned his mother and his grandmother, but I didn't yet say anything about his dad. In Acts chapter 16 verse 1, it tells us that his father was a Greek, meaning he was not a believer, at least as far as we could tell. And based on what happened in, in Timothy's life in Acts chapter 16, Paul takes Timothy after deciding he might be good for the ministry, good for missionary work. What is the first thing he does to this 
late 30-something, maybe 40-something, to go and to preach the Gospel in the synagogues, he has to do what? He's got to circumcise him. Because there are people who know this man has a Greek father. And even though his mother was a believing Jew, he was considered a Jew, Timothy was willing to submit to the Lord's work in his life as a middle-aged man and undergo something very significant for the sake of the ministry and the sake of the Gospel. He's almost 40 years old. Humanly speaking, think about this family life. Wonder what this was like to have a believing mother and grandmother and then a Greek father. I imagine that there was some challenge for Timothy and for his mother. But the Lord used this faithful mom day in and day out. And He provided for His faith. Dear moms in this room, dear grandmothers in this room, don't discount the work of the Lord through you. Was He at a spiritual disadvantage? Absolutely not. The Lord provided for him. But look at the further gospel advantage that God did in his life in verses 2 through 4. Look at the words that Paul wrote. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He's not trying to be flowery and nice. He says to Timothy, a beloved son. This is not a throwaway phrase, it's a heartfelt greeting from Paul. And he uses it for Timothy and for Titus, the book we just finished. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, he calls Timothy, my true son in the faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, he calls him, my son. In Titus chapter 1, verse 4, he called Titus a true son in a common faith. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, a beloved son. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, my son. We have to be very clear, this was not Paul's biological son. And we're not saying that he's using this word to kind of accommodate Timothy. To kind of build him up and encourage him. No, he's saying, you're not like a son. You are a true son to me. This relationship has been a work of God in our lives, Timothy. And this relationship is stronger than blood and biology. I imagine there are some of you in this room who you have men in your life, or some of you ladies have women in your life who are like a mother or for you men, like a father. And they have been encouraging and building you up and you would think about them as a father or a mother in the faith. What encouraging words to think about. This isn't unique to Paul. Jesus says something very similar to this. It's a special relationship that God creates for all who come to Him by faith. All are this in God's kingdom. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, Jesus said, Whoever does the will of My Father in heaven is My brother and My sister and My mother. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you walk with Him today? Do you keep His commandments? Are you one of His? Jesus says here in the Scriptures in Matthew chapter 12 that He calls you His mother and sister and brother. Do you know the Lord? Are you walking with Him? I've got a few questions for you. And particularly this is for our mothers and our grandmothers and our church family. As we leave in a few moments, having started another day and another week, I want to ask you, dear mothers, do you have this kind of relationship with others? It's likely only with a small group or a precious few where you could say, my beloved daughter, to a woman who's not your daughter. A woman that you encourage and lift up and pray for. A woman that you plead the Lord Jesus to give them faith and hope and grace. 
Are you, as an older woman, perhaps, in our congregation, in our church family, are you pouring out into a younger woman, imparting the spiritual wisdom and knowledge that the Lord has seen fit in His providence to give you? It's because of His faithfulness. And it is a trust and a promise to the next generations that God will protect and take care of His children. Are you challenged to find ways, older and younger women alike, to gather our Lebanon women into the fold from young to old, no exclusions, that we might see God use you to pass on this great heritage of faith that we have from one generation of mothers to the next. May God do this in our church family for His glory and for our good. Again, I say thank you to our mothers. We praise the Lord for you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. And we raise up our hands to you and we thank you and praise you for your covenant faithfulness and the heritage of faith that we have inherited and that we see represented here at Lebanon today. I pray, Lord, that you would help each of us to think strongly about our own walk with you, our mothers, our grandmothers, our young women, and our men as well, Lord, that we would walk before you and know you all the days of our lives, that we would walk in the fear of the Lord, knowing that we are not promised tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word by singing hymn number 719, A Christian Home.
be seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. we thank you for the privilege and the honor to take part in in this worship service in tithes and offerings and giving them to you giving back to you a small portion of what you have richly blessed us with Lord I pray that you would bless our offerings this morning that they would be for the, the furthering of the name the knowledge of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and for his glory in the world Lord we thank you and praise you for providing for us And we look to you in faith that you will continue to provide not only for Lebanon Presbyterian Church, but also for each of our families. In Jesus' name, amen. Elders and deacons meet briefly next door uh, following our worship service. And also, as it is Mother's Day, we will not have Sunday evening activities tonight. So no evening activities tonight. Receive the benediction of our Lord from the book of Romans, chapter 15. Now may the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.